Welcome back to The Joseph Carlson Show. On this episode, U.S. inflation hit a near four-decade high at 9.1%, but investors are shrugging this off and treating it like it's already old news. The market's up across the board. The Dow Jones is up 1.8%, the S&P 500's up 1.5%, and the Nasdaq is currently up 1.3%. So investors are having a good Friday. They seem confident in the economy despite the high inflation. JP Morgan, the largest bank in the world and a very large holding in my portfolio, had their quarterly report. Their earnings fell 28% after building reserves for bad loans, and they announced the suspension the temporary suspension of their buyback program. We'll be discussing this in this episode. We also have some comments to respond to. From the last episode, Josh Bossel says, can you please talk about what made you decide to sell out of BST? And then Mark GE says, bro, congratulations. Your dividends grow faster than my entire portfolio, monthly contributions included. I'll be replying and sharing my thoughts to both of these comments at the end of this episode. Now let's go ahead and jump right in. For those of you new to the Joseph Carlson show, we do things a little bit differently here. I show my portfolio every single week, week by week with complete transparency. That means I show the total portfolio value. I have that on the thumbnail of every video. I show on every single video, my gains or my losses, my buys and my sells, my entire portfolio. I link it in the description. And I tell you my reasoning behind the decisions I'm making. And while most people in the financial category tell you what to do with your money, but they don't show you what they're doing with theirs, I take the opposite approach. I don't tell you what to do with your money, but I do show you what I'm doing with mine. So having said that, let's go ahead and jump in to one of my biggest holdings in my portfolio that's going through a difficult time. It's in the financial category, and it's JP Morgan Chase. The current value is $18,000. I'm in the green by $2,000. And this company has a characteristic, a trait, that I really don't appreciate. It's one thing that I don't like about this company, which is it's highly volatile. If we look at JP Morgan using Qualtrum Insights, this is a tool available to Patreon members. We can look at the price chart here over a five-year time horizon. JP Morgan has gone from the 100s up to 137 before COVID. Then it sold down like most companies. So I don't really blame it for selling down here, but it sold down a lot to $79 a share. So it took a big dive Then it went back up to 170, all the way to 170. I was like 12, $13,000 in the green at this point. This was probably a good time to lock in some gains, but I just kept holding it. Now it's traded down all the way to 108. So this company has that characteristic, that trait, that I really don't appreciate that much, which is it's very cyclical. It goes through booms and busts and it's highly volatile. Going from rags to riches to rags to riches back to rags, all within the course of a couple years. This is something that I would rather avoid with my holdings. I like holdings that just steadily march upwards over time with minimal volatility. Those are difficult to find, but this company is... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Certainly not one of them. JP Morgan is trading more in line with a high growth tech company than a value company. So this company is highly volatile and it's down 40% from its recent highs. And part of that is because it has this exposure to the economy 
and the economy looks like it may be heading into a recession. And Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of JP Morgan, shares his opinion on the current state of the U.S. economy and the future of it. He says the U.S. economy continues to grow and both the job market and consumer spending and their ability to spend remain healthy. That's the good news. Right now, the U.S. economy is growing. People are spending money. People remain employed. But then he gets to the big caveat here. This is a long paragraph, but let me go through all the warnings he gives. But geopolitical tension, high inflation, waning consumer confidence, the uncertainty about how high rates have to go, and the never-before-seen quantitative tightening and their effects on global liquidity, combined with the war in Ukraine and its harmful effects on global energy and food prices, are very likely to have a negative consequence on the global economy sometime down the road. Now that paragraph is full of different things we could go into, but I think the most important takeaway is this last part right here. It's very likely to have a negative consequence on the global economy sometime down the road. That is his way of saying that the chances of a recession are increased. There's higher chances of us going into an economic slowdown. And as the largest bank in the world and in the U.S., you have to prepare for that. The way that JP Morgan has chosen to prepare for this is to temporarily suspend its repurchase program. So instead of doing stock buybacks, they are now going to raise capital for their reserves to prepare for the upcoming recession. Companies like JP Morgan have a lot of different things they can do with their cash flows. They can opt to reinvest back in their business. They can pay down debt. They can distribute that money back to the shareholders via dividend. That's something I love to see companies do. Or they can do share buybacks. That's another option where they buy back their shares outstanding, making it so you have more equity in the company. Buybacks and dividends are the two ways that companies return money back to the shareholder. The option that JP Morgan is being forced to take is to halt their buyback program, not because they don't want to return money back to you, but instead because they need to raise cash. They need to bolster their cash reserves in preparation for a potential recession so that this bank can remain with liquidity during a terrible recession. That's what they have to prepare for. Now, I realize that this is for a good reason. It makes sense that they're now halting their buyback program, but I would have preferred them to raise cash for recession when the stock price was incredibly high. In my opinion, this is the fault of management. When the stock price is up here, that's when they shouldn't have been doing buybacks. They should not have been buying back their stock at 150 and 160. But JP Morgan was doing share buybacks in the 150s and 160s. They could have bolstered their reserves at this stock price, up in this territory. Instead, they wait until the stock price tumbles down to 108, and then they say, hey, we need to bolster our reserves. We need to raise cash. Halt the buyback program. So in summary, JP Morgan does what a lot of companies that do buybacks end up doing. They time them incorrectly. Instead of halting their buyback program when the stock price was very high in 2021, they continued to spend their money on shares that were at 150 to 170. And now that the stock price has fallen to $100 a share, they're halting their buyback program to raise cash. They time this as poor as possible. So as an owner of JP Morgan, I find this frustrating, and I don't think they've been prudent with their allocation strategy. They could have been raising these reserves and preparing for the recession when times were good and their stock price was incredibly high. This is the time period to halt the buybacks, to not be purchasing back your own stock. They could have raised funds here so that they could continue doing buybacks when the stock price tanks, but that's not what they did. JP Morgan did what almost every other company does. 
They buy high, and then they don't buy when the stock price goes down. And of course, this isn't unique to JP Morgan. This is a very common thing. In fact, one of the companies that does buybacks the right way, one of the few companies that actually intelligently uses buybacks the way that they should be used is Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway makes a habit of buying back the stock when it's low, when it goes down. They were not buying their stock right here, but they were buying it right here, and they're probably doing buybacks right now. If the stock price went up like crazy, up to 360, Berkshire Hathaway would not be buying back their stock. That's something that Berkshire does that I wish other companies would follow suit. They buy back their stock when the price goes down, and they raise cash when the price goes up. That is the way that you should operate as a company. But JP Morgan's not doing that. So where does that leave us now? The stock price has gone down a lot. The earnings and revenue are both a miss. Earnings per share of 2.76 versus 2.88. The revenue of 31.63 billion versus 31.95 billion expected. They missed on both their earnings and their revenue. Now the analysts say that this earnings miss is quote, not terrible. And I agree. I'm not saying that JP Morgan's earnings miss is terrible. This isn't doom and gloom and the end of JP Morgan. I'm gonna continue to hold the stock throughout this recession. I want to hold it until it recovers, at least until the 150s. I might take some profits once it gets up to that point. But I think it's going to be a long road because they're not doing buybacks. There's not much support for the stock other than other investors buying up the shares. So I consider this a huge misstep by management. It didn't create shareholder equity returns. And it's something that I consider when I look at these different companies. There's a couple of them that have done buybacks at very poor times. One of them is Starbucks. Starbucks was buying back their shares when they were expensive before the massive drop. And then as the share price dropped, Starbucks announced that they were suspending their share buyback program. That's the wrong time to be doing it. There's other companies in my portfolio that buy back their shares at good times. Texas Roadhouse is one of them. They do share buybacks when the stock price is low, not when it's high. So this company uses its money wisely. Starbucks hasn't done that, and JP Morgan isn't doing that. So although I'm disappointed in the way that they're managing through this, I'm hopeful that this company will be able to get their reserves up to the necessary levels, and they will re-implement the buyback soon. Maybe next quarter they can do that. So we'll hold out and see. The buybacks will bolster the stock price. It'll support it. And now's a better time to be doing it than the past six months. Now, moving on, I want to jump into the headline of the day, which is the Dow is rising 600 points. The reason the indices are up today is because of the retail spending data. This is what you have to know on this subject. More than two-thirds of U.S. economic activity is tied to household spending, meaning that if you're in the business of trying to predict whether or not we're going into recession, the U.S. household economic spending activity is incredibly crucial to those predictions because most of our economic data is made up of people spending their money. If people continue to spend money, we're not going into a recession. If people get scared or fearful, they don't know where the next paycheck is going to come from, so they start to spend less and less, they pull back on their spending, then we may enter into a recession. Recessions are typically accompanied by a pullback by consumers. The Commerce Department reported that Americans' retail spending rose 1% in June, from the prior month. So spending went up month over month, not down, and it declined in May. So it was looking like a bad trend, and if it went down again, that would have been two consecutive months of spending going down, but that didn't happen. Spending went back up. Quote, you don't get a recession by adding 6 million jobs or having consumers spending that isn't shrinking. That's exactly correct. 
You do not get a recession by consumers continuing to spend money. Quote, a lot of retail report was just inflation, but on the other hand, sales are not going down either. This doesn't say recession. So here we have some news that goes against what JP Morgan is saying and Jamie Dimon. There is always a chance of a recession. There's always a chance of a correction or a bear market. And I promise you, If we do go through a recession and it quickly recovers, the next thing people will be talking about in the future is the upcoming correction and the upcoming recession. It happens every single time. Back in 1995, Peter Lynch talked about how as soon as one correction recovered, people were concerned about the next correction. Don't make your investment decisions in your entire portfolio always concerned about the upcoming recession. That's no way to invest. All right, now let's go ahead and move on to the comments section of the video. I'll be replying to two comments from the previous episode. Before we jump into that, I have to give a quick shout out for today's sponsor, it's FTX US. They are a large cryptocurrency exchange. You know that I don't buy cryptocurrencies. I can't do analysis on them in terms of fundamental valuation. And I usually invest in things that produce cash flows. I like the Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett cash flow type of thing. Now, FTX wants people to know that they're becoming a multifaceted platform that offers a lot of different things, one of them being stocks. This is a new category that they're currently building out. It's in beta right now, but they're going to be launching this to a wider audience in the upcoming weeks. So you can sign up for an account for free right now using the link in the pinned comment below. Use the refer code Carlson. That way when you do your first $100 trade, you'll get credited $10. So as you sign up, use the refer code Carlson and then eventually in the upcoming weeks, you'll have access to this brokerage, which you can buy and sell anytime. It has fractional shares. There's no payment for order flow, which is nice. And it's a part of FINRA and SIPC insured. So this is something I've been testing out. It's worked perfectly. Let me know what you think when you sign up. All right, now let's go ahead and jump into the comments section here. Let me first start off with Josh Bossels. He left a comment on my previous episode. Can you please talk about what made you decide to sell out of BST? BST is the covered call ETF. It's an actively managed ETF where they generate a large amount of premiums and they give that back to you in the form of dividends. So It pays a very high yield on a monthly basis, and that's very intriguing, very enticing for a lot of dividend investors, and I'm in that category as well. I think that's very uh, a very cool thing that they're doing. Now, let me go over a few reasons I didn't sell out of BST, just to clarify. I didn't sell out of it because I think it's a poor investment. I didn't sell out of it because I found out some new revealing information that made me change my mind about it. Really, the reason I decided to ultimately switch out of BST was just considering my portfolio, considering my holdings, and what the portfolio really is supposed to be. I outlined that my passive income portfolio is a defensive and passive portfolio. BST is not that defensive. It's highly volatile and it's actively managed. And those are all things that really didn't fit in with what I categorized my overall portfolio as being, a defensive, passive income, conservative portfolio. So that was the first thing. In terms of ETFs, SCHD fits in with the whole idea of my portfolio much more closely than BST. SCHD is more emblematic of the type of investing that I'm trying to do. Buying good companies with good fundamentals at reasonable valuations and holding them long term. That fits more in to SCHD than BST. The other reason that I considered and one of the reasons that led me to selling out of it was I'm leaning more towards companies where I can very clearly see what's going on with my money, 
what's going on with my investments. What you're doing when you invest in BST is you're basically offloading your investing decisions to other people. You're saying, I don't want to manage this money and make my own investments. I want you to take my money. I want you to manage it and make decisions on my behalf. The managers at BST can change their minds at any time. They can change their portfolio and allocation at any time. They can invest in basically anything that they want both private and public, you don't really know until after the fact. So you're just hoping that they're making good decisions on your behalf. And that seems just a little against my type of investing. I've been leaning more towards companies, which you can very clearly, concisely see what they're doing with your money. In fact, I like the relationship to be so simple that they basically have their products and services, they sell them, and then they return that money back to me, the shareholder. And if they have to, they have to reinvest some back into their core business. Domino's is a company that is so simple. They do the most simple things with your money. They earn money with their franchise fees through selling pizza. They have a bunch of franchisees that they pay them licenses for their IP. That's how they earn free cash flow. And they use that free cash flow to buy back shares. That's all they do. They earn free cash flow and they buy back shares. And they earn free cash flow and they buy back shares. If debt's really cheap, they'll take out some debt and buy back shares. If debt's expensive, they'll pay back the debt. That's all they do. Domino's earns money from their licensing. They return that money to me, the shareholder, through buybacks and dividends. There's no opaqueness in what Domino's does. The same thing with Texas Roadhouse. I can look at that company. They open up three different brands. One of them is the Texas Roadhouse brand. The other one is Bubba's 33. And the other one is a licensing deal with Jaggers. So they have three different ways they're growing. And all they do with their cash flows is they pay their employees and then they do share buybacks and they pay a growing dividend. As simple as can be. And I can see that for all the companies that I really love. With Costco, the capital allocation is as simple as can be. They will open 20 to 25 locations per year. They make those big capital investments and then they earn their money and they pay a dividend or a special dividend. That's all Costco does. They're not doing anything that I can't clearly see. With BST, do you really know what they're doing on a monthly basis? Not really. They're doing a covered call strategy. They're making different investments, but they have so much agency. They have so much different things that they can do that I don't like the fact that I don't really know what they're doing. I'm leaning less towards those as investments and companies and ETFs and more towards the ones that I think are very simple, very predictable ways of earning money. Does that mean that BST is a bad investment? I don't think so. Does it mean that everyone needs to sell out of it? I don't think so. You might be fine with offloading your investing responsibility to them at BST. And I think there's a chance they could do very well. But I want to have more control over where my money's going, over what investments I'm making. And I'd rather do that either through SCHD which is more of like an algorithm-based investment or ones that I can do directly, like Costco, like Texas Roadhouse, Domino's, like those type of investments. So that's the reason, Josh, I'm just moving more towards very simple, predictable investments where I have clear insight into what's going on into those investments. And BST was a little bit more murky, a little bit more clouded. I'm moving out of those investments, generally speaking. The next comment is from Mark GE. Bro, congratulations. Your dividends grow faster than my entire portfolio monthly contributions included. And that is the crying laughy face. Now, I know you probably said this in jest that I'm putting in uh, $1,000 per week into my portfolio. And now my portfolio is large enough that it's generating $600 per month on average in dividends, which you're saying now 
that that $600 a month in dividends is more than your portfolio's growing with contributions. You're not able to contribute over $600 a month. But let me rewind a little bit here, Mark. I started investing back in 2012. That's when I first started my first investment account. And it was with an app called Acorns. At the time, it was in beta, only available on the iPhone. And I downloaded that app, which all it did was put you into a basket of ETFs. And I started putting a couple dollars into the market every single week. It had this little roundup feature so you could round up spare change and throw it into the stock market. That was my introduction into investing. At the time in 2012, when I was in the middle of my career, I wasn't at a very high earning position at the time. I was still in the learning category of things. I thought it was insane to think of investing $600 per month in a stock portfolio. I thought that that was unachievable. That was too much money. My budget was so tight at the time that I did not have $600 per month to spare. Honestly, that was the situation I was in. I would invest maybe $50 per week, $200 a month if I budgeted correctly. If I didn't budget, that money would be gone. And I was spending paycheck to paycheck because at the time I wasn't as far along in my career. I wasn't making as much money and I had a lot of expenses. I was paying for a lot of things at the time. So you might be looking at my portfolio and thinking that it's impossible to achieve, that getting to $600 per month in dividends seems out of this world. Like it's, it's just something you can't get to. It's not, and you'll eventually get there. If you keep consistent, your portfolio will grow to over 300,000, to over 500,000, to over a million dollars. Consistency is the key to this. Continually going, not getting in your head about an upcoming recession or the inflation numbers. Keep depositing every single bit of spare change you have all the time. Put it in the market and let these companies work for you. And if you can increase your income from your day job, try not to let lifestyle inflation and lifestyle creep keep up with your pay. Increase your pay without increasing your lifestyle. And the difference there is the margin that you can put in your portfolio. That was key with what I did. My pay kept going up. My lifestyle did not. It moved up a fraction of what my pay did. So all that extra money that I earned, I put in savings and then I put it in the stock market over and over and over again. And I'm still doing that to this day. I don't drive flashy cars. I don't spend money on useless things. I put that money to work as much as possible. So don't become discouraged by this. If you're in a situation now, situations change all the time in the future. And if you make Decent judgment and decent decisions, they usually change for the better. There's many people in my Discord that make far more money than me that have far bigger portfolios. People are at different circumstances, different stages. We're all at different incomes. They change over time dramatically. Just keep going. So that's all I'll say on that subject. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a good weekend, and I'll see you in the next one.